Okay, great. Um, so this is the standalone sermon. This isn't going to be like a, a series. I just want to. I just was praying about what to speak on for like our first Sunday back after the summer break, and I want to speak from a passage in the book of Ecclesiastes, which is around the middle. If you've got a Bible, it's around the middle. If not, you can just listen when I read it out. And it's part of what's known as the wisdom literature. The Bible is made up of about sixty-six books, and they are a different genre. Some of it's narrative. Some of it's um, uh, poetic, um, some of it is what we call epistles, letters written, some of it is wisdom literature, and Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. And so it's, it's quite unusual in many ways, if you, ever get, if you ever have a spare couple of hours, it's worth reading it. Um, it. Most people would say that it's written by King Solomon, and we'll look a little bit about him in a minute, because obviously... He wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he wrote it, and so some of what he says definitely comes out of his experience, and it'd be important to look at that. But I really want to, well, I'll I'll read the passage, and then I'll explain what I'm going to speak about today. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to read the the first 13 verses. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. I pray that you'd help me to speak clearly under your leading. Pray for those that are listening. I know there'll be some in the room who really do know you and really want to hear from you in a fresh way today. Just pray that you'd be really merciful, Holy Spirit, and that you would... They would feel like they're the only one in the room. They'd feel like you're speaking to them today. We pray for those, Lord, who don't normally come to church and maybe are mystified by the whole thing or are confused or or even agitated. I just pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself through your words, I pray. Just commit ourselves to you, Lord. Thank you for your presence here. Although we can't see you, we do believe in you. We do trust and believe and are convinced that your presence is with us. Move in hearts and lives, I pray, through this time. Amen. So I want to speak about the sovereignty of God today. The sovereignty of God means is that God is overall, that he has all authority, that he is the king of the kings, he is the king of creation, that he doesn't have to ask for permission to do anything, that he has all rule, all authority, all reach, that nothing is beyond him. Um, that he really is the king. And not only that, but that he orders all things together um, for his own purpose. 
that he that he's not there's a there's a there's a system of thought known as deism which basically teaches that god created everything but much like with an old-fashioned clock you wind it up and then you let it go that god made everything and then he stepped back and it's kind of working itself out and god never uh, is is not actually hands-on involved and never intervenes in miraculous ways the bible doesn't teach that the bible teaches that god created all things and sustains all things and is in, is at work in his creation continually that he is causing things to rise up and come down empires and nations that he is working everything towards his grand purpose in jesus and his grand purpose is that one day at the end that he will gather everything together under the king that he has established over the nations jesus that's the plan and purpose of God. And that he has the power and authority to see it come good. That's the sovereignty of God. It raises up a lot of questions, but also brings a lot of comfort. Some people say, but if God's sovereign, then why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why does the other happen? And we can go there. We're not going to today, but you can go there. And I'm happy to talk about that with you. If you want to get coffee, we can talk about that. Uh, but it leaves some people perplexed. Let me just say this. The only more perplexing thing is that God isn't sovereign. That leads to a whole lot of other questions. God isn't sovereign, you can't trust him. He doesn't have the power to keep you safe. He doesn't have the power to bring you home. He's not over the nations. He's not presiding over even the bad stuff that happens and putting limits on things. So God, that God is sovereign actually brings incredible peace, even though I'm not pretending for a moment that on a logical level it answers every question, but there's plenty that can be spoken about. But there's immense comfort in knowing that God is sovereign. Now, the author here, he's been on a journey. Before he gets to the bit I read, he's been on a journey. First, he's, he's, tried to, he's tried to find meaning in life through knowledge, just through finding out as much as he can. And his conclusion in chapter 1 is this. In much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So that's his uh, conclusion. Then he goes for pleasure. Now, he's got the resources to have whatever he wants, right? And uh, so he really goes for it. He, gets, he gathers all that he can. He goes for a big, long list of all that he did and all that he had. And um, this is his conclusion uh, to that. He says, um, well, he said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Whatever my eyes desired. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my, all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Then he goes for work. I'm going to work hard and find ultimate meaning in that. And he says, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So he's been on his journey, and his conclusion is this. In uh, chapter 2, he says, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. And there's this phrase that keeps coming up to Ecclesiastes, under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And what he ends up saying is that, is, is that if you try to find meaning in life outside of heaven, outside of, outside of God, outside of his purpose, it will lead one way or the other to vexation, sorrow, futility. That's what he says. And, but you've got to, even, if you, even if your initial response to this is cynical and you don't like what I'm saying, I want you to stop for a moment and from a human perspective, bear in mind, this is, this is someone who, has been, who goes down in history as perhaps the wisest man, wisdom of Solomon, very normal phrases we use, he had all wisdom. He, 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 had, he had the resources to do whatever he liked, so he explored pleasures beyond which most of us would ever dream about. And this is his conclusion. 
So it's worth listening to, even from a human perspective, even if you are a cynic, even if you don't believe the Bible, please give this man some time. Give him his dues. He, is, he has experienced more of this world than any of us will ever do in our lifetime, I would imagine. So then he comes to this moment where he says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And he begins to unpack the, the sovereignty of God over life. And he comes up with these three things I want, to, I want to look at today. Number one, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Wow, what a phrase. Number two, that we somehow have within us the knowledge of eternity. He's put eternity in our heart. And yet not in such a way that we understand everything from the beginning to the end. And so the comment here is, is that God has put eternity in our heart. We know We live with a sense of what was paradise lost. We live with this sense that death can't be the final word. He's put eternity in our heart. And yet our understanding of things is still partial. That doesn't mean that we get it all. Okay, Not in such a way that we know all of God's works from beginning to end. We don't. That's the second thing. Eternity is in our heart, but our understanding is partial, not full. And then the third thing is this. God's gift to us. While we live on this life, is be joyful, generous, work hard, and enjoy the rewards of your work. Now, it's interesting because a few chapters early, he's, he's talking about work and the vexation of it. But now what he's, doing, he's beginning to reimagine work and life in light of the sovereignty of God. It's no longer just under heaven. Now he's looking at what does life look like under the sovereignty of God. So I want to look at those three things. Firstly, individually. I'm speaking to you now as individuals. He has made everything beautiful in its time. What are you carrying in your heart? What dreams do you live with? What longings do you have? We are creatures of desire, are we not? We are logical, but logic isn't the main thing that drives us. Desire drives us, then we build logic around it so it looks like it makes sense and stands up before others. But the real thing that drives us is desire. We are creatures of desire. And so we live with longings. And, um, you know, actually, God is the giver of dreams. God is the giver of pure and wonderful longings. We mustn't think for a moment that God is somehow removed from that, that God wants to sort of strip us of that. The Bible says that in in the days that we live in, the Spirit of God is being poured out on God's people and giving dreams and visions. There's longings and desires that are put in us by God. And here's the promise. He makes everything beautiful in its time. Everything. Everything. What the Bible says that the things that God promises us, the way we inherit them is through faith and patience. patience. Believing and trusting Him, but continuing to do so month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. But the promise is, is as you do that, you will be able to look back on your life and say, He made that beautiful in its time. He made that beautiful in its time. He made that. And so what we're being kept from here is, you know, like it's like the spiritual equivalent of you've ever been to a fruit tree. I don't have many of those around here, but fruit trees and, and the fruit's not quite ripe, but you want to pick it. And it's a real wrestling match. You're trying to twist off unripe fruit. You ever done that? Not worth it. Why? Because it never tastes good. You get it off. <coughs> snap. And then at that point, you should know not to sink your teeth into it. If you do, you tend to at that point go, ah, you wince because it's not ready. It's not ripe. There's a promise here that keeps us from doing that. If you will put yourself into the hands of God, if you will trust him and his sovereignty, there is a peace that comes whereby you can live in the good of the fact that he will make everything beautiful in its time. 
that leads to a very uh, fruitful, peaceful, joyful, hopeful way of life. It's one thing to put, your hands, put yourself in the hands of a sovereign God who hasn't made any promises, but these are the kind of promises he makes us. I will make everything beautiful in its time. Even the ugly stuff. Even the stuff you think, but what about that? How will that? Don't we say in our house, not, not how, who? Because <laughs> you never know how. So many things are beyond us. Let's be honest. So many things are outside of our reach. There's things we can do, but so much is beyond us. You can't change another person, let alone a huge situation. So you've got a relational issue. You can't change that person. You think, how? Not who? Not how? Who? He says, I will make everything beautiful in its time. Say, God, we trust you. Wonderful. What a fortress of a promise for us. And then this second point, that we, uh, we have eternity in our heart, but our, our understanding is, is partial as as individuals, you need to know this, that this sense of there's more, but I don't quite get it all, is right, good, and natural. We live in that sense of, ah, my heart longs for more because we were made for more. The Bible says we were made for the glory of God, but we sinned and we've fallen short. And so we live with this sense of, ah, and, and, and we look for things, and even if they're enjoyable in life, they never quite you know, it, it always leaves us, yeah, but because we are made for him, for his presence. And one day the Bible says through faith in Christ, we will be before him face to face. And then our hunger and thirst will be fully quenched. This is what we were made for. It's eternity in your heart. And some people get, they, they trip up because they sense this, but they don't know all the answers to all of life's quandaries. The Bible says that. He's put eternity in your heart, but not in such a way that you understand everything. All the works of God from beginning to end, no one does. Now I want to put to you with respect that the new atheists, go the, they go the opposite on this. They say we will understand everything. We will understand everything. Science will give us all of the answers. And while we're doing that, we will suppress this eternity that's in our hearts. And we won't, we won't give credence or thought to the fact that we live with this sense of there's more. I mean, the one thing that is true of everyone that's ever lived, except for Elijah and Enoch, of what? We've died. The one thing we all struggle with more than anything else is what? Death. Doesn't that tell you something? Do you not think that by now humanity would have got over the fact that we all die? <laughs> this is a pretty strong pattern. Okay. Surely now we would have, if we would have come to the point where we say, yeah, yeah, this is just what happens. And yet we weep. And we cry and we say, why? Because death is an imposter. We weren't made to die. It's put eternity in our hearts. So live in that tension. That's normal, the Bible says. That's fine. And so how do we live under the sovereignty of God with all of these things? Well, God's given us certain gifts. Be joyful. Learn to, learn to enjoy him, his creation. If, if you can learn to enjoy the good things in life, but in a way that's not... Not, you're not looking for it to ultimately satisfy you, but you're looking to him for that, then you will live well. You will live well. Because you, be, you won't end up worshipping those things. You'll, 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 your, your chief desire will be for him. But you'll be able to appreciate all that's around you. So be joyful. What else? Be generous. We've received such generosity from God. I'll speak about that in a moment. He's been so open-hearted to us. Isn't he so open-hearted? He's opened himself wide up to us through Jesus. 
what can we do but say, Lord, I want to live in that same spirit. Work hard and enjoy the rewards of your work. It's pretty simple, really. It's pretty simple. Let's look at Jesus for just a moment. You know, Jesus, for periods of time in his life, was homeless. Jesus was hated by many. Jesus was wanted in certain areas he couldn't go to. Jesus lived with the cross looming. I mean, imagine that, living with the fact that you know before too long you're going to be crucified. For no crime you've done, but because it's the plan and purpose of God to restore his creation to himself. That, that Jesus, the Son of God, will need to give up his life on the cross to atone for our sins. Imagine living with that before you. What kind, of, what kind of person would you be? You know when something bad's looming? What kind of person are you? Imagine that looming. And yet look at him, joyful. The Bible says he was anointed with joy above his companions. Generous. Gave himself to people constantly, full of good works. I mean, and, and, and one who was a celebrator. Known he was had a reputation for being a wine-bibber and a glutton. In the old King James language. Drunkard and a glutton. That's what he was known for. Not because he was a glutton or a drunkard, but because he would go to the parties and to the weddings and he would, he would live life fully in those places and show people what fullness of life was really like in those places. That's what he would do. With the cross looming, you think, wow, how do you do that? He was safe in his father's hands. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm in your hands here. And now, now you say, well, did it, did it come good for Jesus? He rose from the grave. He is exalted at the right hand of the Father. He rules over all creation with the name that is above every name. Yes. Why? Because God makes everything beautiful in its time. So take these things to heart. What a gospel we have. What a God we have. A couple of comments. Let's look at this for a moment nationally. Just nationally. So the Bible says God makes everything beautiful in its time. Where are we at as a nation? Well, I would say at the moment it's not too beautiful. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of, you name it, as a nation. There's, an eb- there's ebb and flows in every nation. I think we're in a bit of an ebb spiritually. We kind of decided, kind of on a bit of a national level, a few decades ago, to, to be done with this. To be done with this. We'll find our own way through. God, in his mercy, gives us, gives us he says that when we make decisions like that, he gives us over to them. So you can see, you can see what, what becomes when you do that, we're probably just in the process of working out what's becoming of us as we have, as we have done that. But I'll tell you this. He will bring beauty back to our nation. He will. He does care about our nation. He cares about every nation. Every nation has a special place in his heart. He cares about our nation. We get a glimpse into eternity in Revelation. And in chapter 7, John, who wrote Revelation, he said, I, I, I was before the throne and I saw an, a number that no one could count from every tribe, tongue, and nation before the throne of God. And it's speaking of that final company of people that will be around the throne, the redeemed, the saved, those who have come to Christ and cried out for help, for, for forgiveness, and have been saved from every nation. From every nation, there will be souls. There will be, uh, I believe God, for a beautiful representation from the UK. Amen? 
I know there's probably some of you in this room that even just recently you've come to know Jesus and uh, you're just, you've become part of that number. What a joy it is. What a joy, what a wonder it is. As a church in this nation, we're to lead the way in terms of joy. Lead the way in terms of generosity. Lead the way in terms of working hard at work. Lead the way in these things. Lead the way in terms of knowing how to appropriately enjoy the rewards of our work. And we model something to our nation of what true beauty looks like. We model something of what life under God looks like. That not in a mean way, but in a good way, it provokes a, it provokes a kind of a godly kind of jealousy where people say, that's life. What is it? And we just say, Jesus, life is a person. It's not a set of principles, not a set of ideas. Life is a person, Jesus Christ. And when he comes and indwells you as Lord, he shows you how to live. His life bubbles through you. He shows you what it's about. You know, Jesus understands about God's heart for the nations. The Bible says that he came to that which was his own, the Jewish nation, and his own did not receive him. But to all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, over his three years of earthly ministry, gave special attention to the nation of Israel. He came as their Messiah to fulfill many, many of the promises. But, you know, God's ultimate purpose is from every nation, Israel included, he will gather souls that will create his nation, the true nation, the holy nation, that will populate the new heavens and the new earth. We understand about this. And then finally, just cosmically. So individually, Nationally, Now let's just spend a few moments on the whole of creation, shall we? He will make everything beautiful in its time. In Romans chapter 8, it says this extraordinary thing. He says, uh, he says, I, he says um, creation has been subjected to futility. Not willingly, it's not something creation chose, but because of him who subjected it. So God has, because of Adam and Eve's sin, subjected the whole of creation to a curse, if you like, of futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He says, we know the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we also, with the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan longing to be clothed with the new creation. The whole of creation is on tiptoes waiting to be liberated. Did you know that? Creation's still amazing. I mean, the documentaries you can see on creation, we all go, wow. But this is creation under futility. <laughs> this is creation with a problem. We all know there are problems, difficulties, disasters and the like. The Bible says God has placed creation under this curse of futility because of Adam and Eve's sin. You say, well, why would he do that because of their sin? Because he established them to rule over creation. That's what people were made for, to rule over creation and represent him. When they sinned, their authority over creation was real. And so God put the creation under this kind of consequence, if you like, of their sin. But then the second Adam has come, Jesus, the head of a new humanity. And at his resurrection, new creation started. And now every time someone is born again, new creation kicks off inside of them when they come to know Jesus. And you know what? God is gathering and creating a people together that will be able to populate a creation that has been released from futility. It'll be just as physical, but it'll be a whole new order of glory, wonder, fruitfulness. That is the plan of God. He makes everything beautiful. In its time. Eternity, if you like, is, is in the very fabric of 
creation. There is an eternity that we have to reckon with. Listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John in chapter 24. Jesus said this. He said, um, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son, Jesus, also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Eternity awaits all of us. Eternity awaits all of us. Once you have been created, the Bible seems to suggest that you exist forever. So this isn't a practice one. I mean, this, is, this life is for real. But in terms of what it compares to, length-wise, after death, it's really a blink of an eye. And so the, the, the mercy of God is that when you come to him through Jesus now, you begin to experience new creation, new life. You taste it. It's like a, a deposit giving you to taste it. So you know that your hope beyond the grave isn't a pipe dream. Right? Because Am I right? So those of you that know Jesus, yeah, you, you're born again, new life starts, you know you're not who you are anymore, there's a whole new centre, you now have a relationship with God, you think, wow, I'm not who I was, I'm, I'm still me, but I'm, an, I'm part of the new creation, something has happened, this is powerful. And when you're in that, you then know for sure, if it's kicked off now, if it's happened inside of me, that this hope beyond the grave, it can't be a pipe dream, it's already started in me now, I've just had a taste of it. And so the whole of creation is going in this direction to the glory and praise of God. The church globally, the church globally is going to populate the new heavens and the new earth. And I want to just end with some verses from Revelation that just help us to fix our mind in that place. It says in this, Revelation 1, verse 7, Behold, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. And then at the end of Revelation, in chapter 22, Jesus says this. He says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Bring in my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to, I guess, just catch a fresh sense today of the wonder of God and his ultimate purpose that it's, it's not pipe dreams, it's not fantasy, it's not, it's not fairy tales. This, this stuff is sound, coherent, holds together. <laughs> it's stimulating for the mind, nourishing for the soul. God has started his new creation through Jesus. It's started. You can become part of it. You can enter into new creation today. So the Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, they are part of the new creation. Old is gone, new has come. Now, I know many of us in the room, we know that. We know the joy of that and we're, we're pressing on. We're, you know, we're, we're on that journey we're to, to, to glory, to the celestial city, to the new heavens and the new earth, to the new Jerusalem and all that. That's where we're going and we're, we're, we're fully signed up on the way. But there may be some of you here, you just know, I don't know, who knows? Maybe as I'm, as I'm talking now, I'm wondering whether there's just one or two in the room where as a youngster, there was some kind of devotion to Christ, some kind of... But it's like, it's not there anymore. And being here today, it's like you feel like you're almost coming home a bit or you're tasting something that you've tasted before. And 
I wonder if the Holy Spirit is just showing me that for you to help, to help you validate what you're experiencing right now. That there's something going on that you're like, wow, God's calling you home. I know it can seem a bit odd. I know, I really know it can seem odd to come into a hall in a school and sing some songs and someone say, this, you know, this is the new creation. I know it can seem a bit I'm aware of that. I'm aware that, you know, externally you look on and you think, that's nah, not going to work. But here's the, here's the amazing thing. God in his glory is very humble. And so God has decided that he will dwell among his people. And so that even though it's not impressive, we, we actually believe that, that God is here. And that if you, if you will open your heart to him and submit to the lordship of Jesus, that he will, he will come and indwell you in such a way that this makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah? that you suddenly see it differently because you realize, I know him now. I know him now. And yes, I am willing to go to that school and <laughs> sing songs. And I want to because I, I want to be with God's people as we anticipate new creation together. And so the Bible says that God's calling everyone everywhere to, to repent, to have that change of heart and to turn away from dark, hidden stuff, sin, and turn to him. And so, you know, as we, as, as we just have this moment now at the end of the sermon, we're going to sing some songs. We're going to break bread. We've got the bread and the wine here. The reason we do the bread and the wine is Jesus, before the cross, said, he said, do this in remembrance. This is something that we need to do regularly to remember, to come back to the cross. Remember that all this good stuff you've got, forgiveness, new life, it's come, it's come because my body was broken for you and my blood was shed for you. That is the focal point of history. That moment there. To the natural eye, Richard Dawkins has said it, I've heard him say it in a, in a, in a debate, it, that thing looks way too insignificant to, to be that. A man being crucified on a hill. The Bible says this. God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. With its high ideas and its pride, God has made foolish by the cross. God has made fools of that by the cross. And, he said he's, and, and the Bible says that, that to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. To us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And when you touch Jesus and when you come to the cross and when you lay down your sin and are gifted with his righteousness and when you come into that born again, you know, I have touched, I have touched true life. I've touched the new creation. I'm, I'm, I'm in. And I want to call you to do that today. Totally respect this is between yourself and God. No one can, no one can nag you, pressurize you, coerce you into it. It's between you and God. But I urge you with all of my heart. I'm not detached from this. It doesn't bother me. It does bother me. Because <laughs> I, know, I know Jesus. And it's like once you know him, you just want everyone to. <laughs> so I want to urge you with all of my heart to, to open up your heart to him. And to bow the knee, he is worthy. He is what you can put your life in his hands. Old or young, he will not turn you away. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. So as we sing now, maybe the banker come up and we take bread and wine. Maybe for some of you, you just want to, you want to say yes for the first time. And you're going to take that bread and wine as a way of saying, Jesus, I want to, I want to be in you. I want to be part of this new creation. I don't, I don't want to do, be you know, in the driver's seat anymore. I want to trust your lordship now. You can do that. And... For the rest of us, you know, who, who, who know the Lord, let's just keep celebrating. Let's just keep coming back to the cross and just knowing this is all a gift. Amen. It's all a gift. All this, you know, talking about being generous and doing good and all of that. It all comes out of what God's done in us. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for them. We are saved by Jesus. Amen. Should we stand?